This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome back to another episode of My Argo Life, this series in which we take a deep dive into the lives and stories of those among us on the terraces of Home Park and across the country. Joining us today is Matt Tiller. How are you? I'm very good, Aaron. Yeah, good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> um, I imagine most people will know yourself and Greg uh, for the outstanding work with the Jack Leslie campaign. But before we get into Jack, let's yes. learn a little bit more about you and your love of Argyle. Not that I've been snooping on your LinkedIn profile, but <laughs> your, your life's work lists uh, things such as a producer, director, writer, singer, songwriter, and of course, campaigner. Yeah. But for people who are unfamiliar with your work, and, and to quote a famous terrorist chant, who are you? <laughs> who the, are you? Yeah. Um, well, um, I, um, I I moved to Plymouth. Well, I did. My my parents did when I was about four. He was in the army at two nine commando in the Citadel. So they weren't really football fans, and um, uh, I was into football. But back then, you know, I didn't have any friends that were Argyle fans. And um, I'm afraid I, I sort of started glory hunting as about a four year old supporting Liverpool. But I was soon dragged out of that by some very sensible <laughs> uh, Plymouth friends, uh, school friends who turned me on to Argyle. And it kind of coincided with um, a bit like now, a bit of a golden period. So um, the cup run of 84, where there was, you know, there was. You know, massive excitement in the city and I was just too I really wanted to go to that semi-final but I was just too young and my parents said no that's not happening um but a couple of um seasons later I started to go with a school friend Ash and um really got into it and then got a season ticket and I, so I was there in the um the Dave Smith 86 season so it was a great a great time to start and um you know, being on the, you know, I ran on the pitch at the end of that uh, Bristol game. And it was, yeah, it was, it was, you know, all these memories are slightly vague, but I do I remember those. Um, uh, in fact, I, I watched one of the Argyle things with Nance, uh, Nance the other day and he oh, yeah. uh, showed one of the header, the Tommy Tynan header. And it's like that, that atmosphere just suddenly came back inside me. Yeah. I was listening to that earlier, actually, that the, the 
he was talking about the Tommy Tynan goal, right? The, the diving header from the corner. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. That was, yes. That was an amazing game. Um, yeah, you've you've basically answered my next question, which is I've been told that you're not Plymouth born, but you're Plymouth bred, basically. Uh, and you yes. have an interesting yes. start to life on the hoe. Yeah, well, my, my, well, when my dad left the army a few years um, later, um, he uh, and my mum bought a guest house. It's, I think it's still there, the lamplighter. So I grew up in a guest house with you know people coming in and out from all, all different places and countries, and then and it was great growing up on the hoe in Plymouth. It was fantastic. Have ever have any like new signings stay there whilst they were trialing? Or no, I, I think even. If, although I'm, uh, yeah, it was a, a very nice place. It was a little B on B and B on the hoe. I, so I don't think we ever had any um, uh, players uh, stay with us. We had um, after that a little hotel that was um, it was called the Drake. The Drake's still there and um, um, on Lockyer Street. So we we occasionally had the odd very minor celeb, but I don't think we ever had a, a, um, an Argyle player or an opposition player stay with us. Sadly, I did yes. once see, I, I did once see Tommy Tynan in the, um, this is going to sound a bit weird now, but in the changing rooms, he was fully dressed and so was I, but in the changing rooms at the Holiday Inn Swimming Pool, um, I think Greg was the member, his, and I used to go as a guest, um, uh, and um, I saw him um, there and I think he had his Argyle top and, and shorts on and I, I was starstruck, you know, because it he was an absolute legend. So I was a bit like, oh, I couldn't even speak to him. Yeah, not not quite um, as legendary as Tommy Tynan, but that's exactly the same pool in which I share the changing room with Lee Hodges. So that was quite well, fun. That's not um, bad. Yeah. So maybe it's that. Maybe if you want to go and meet players, uh, former players, go there. Uh, it's the Crown Plaza now. Is that the same one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Same same hotel. Yeah, yeah. Your early days then as an Argyle fan, do you, what do you remember about your first game? I don't remember much about my first game. I do remember, um, you know, I kind of have sort of vague memories and sort of feelings. And um, we used to sort of go between, I think I started going on the, the Linda. So um, I remember sort of running on in that um, after that uh, promotion game uh, from the Lindhurst, And then me and my mate Ash, had season tickets in the the Mayflower um and yeah it was just great um those were those were sort of great times but obviously um over my many years since it's been yeah up and well down and up if that makes sense yeah yeah a bit of a, a bit of a roller coaster um, yes what, what was it like following Argyle in the the mid to late 80s then obviously who are your idols? You've already mentioned Tommy there, but is there anybody that you look up to? Well, aside from, I mean, definitely Kevin Hodges, because he was, you know, as much as someone like Jack Leslie and some of the other people that played with Jack, like Sammy Black, he's there in the record books and was, you know, immense for many, many years. So, um, I'd say, you know, they're obvious like Tommy Tyne and Kevin Hodges, but I also, I really like, I was a big um, fan of Jeff Crudgington in goal. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I think the players that really kind of stuck out that I sort of noticed their craft more were probably when I was a little bit older. So 
um, sort of going into the 90s and people like Steve McCall, who just had, um, you know, great vision. And I mean, he looked about 50 when he was, I don't know, late 20s, but he was brilliant. Um, And Steve Castle, who was a really kind of um, sort of immense attacking midfielder, um, scored like an an incredible amount of goals. Um, uh, So those sort of players and and, then... Obviously, my you're probably going to ask me my favourite uh, Argyle memory. Um, yeah, yeah, that's literally so, yeah, no, question. So you can uh, answer uh, that if you like. Uh, yeah, why don't I just go go on? Um, yeah, because that um, um, ninety six playoff final. Yeah, it's strange to my my sort of memory of that because through the campaign, getting to know Ronnie Moje, who you know was such a, a legend. Um, for us and having been the only player to score at Wembley, my my, my brain uh, for that goal kind of said that uh, Ronnie was sort of on his own, leaping, you know, to head the ball gloriously uh, into the net. And when I watched the goal back, it was much harder than that. Uh, you know, he, 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 it was it was a much more crowded penalty area than I um, than I remembered, which is weird how your brain plays tricks with you. Um, um i mean obviously that was a that was a, a huge day out and i was you know fairly young and i've been working at plymouth sound and i never interviewed ronnie but i you know um got to go sort of a little bit behind the scenes at the club and interview neil warnock and uh mick jones and yeah so it was um yeah uh quite a an incredible time yeah, I mean, it must be nice just to even see us win at Wembley. To be honest, like that alone is a is a feat that. that well, <laughs> I've been twice since, and it's it's yeah. not been not been such a great day. Bring back the old Wembley is what I say. Yeah, obviously, your first job um, came in radio in Plymouth, right? And you know, what was it yeah. like covering Argyle during Dan McCauley and Neil Warnock's reign? Well, interesting because um, I was very lucky to work with Gordon Sparks. He was doing the Plymouth Sound Breakfast Show. And we got on really well. He was brilliant. And I, I was, you know, early 20s and it was my first proper job. So I was very green, but um, in more ways than one. Yeah. And um, but we chatted about Argyle and he was obviously very, very um, uh, passionate. And um, but there was also a lot going on at the club that was a bit tricky. Mm. And so I did get to, you know, interview Neil Warnock when he was a bit sort of sharp after a game because there were there was obviously some. Uh, real tension between him and Dan McCauley. Um, so it was it was an interesting time um, and quite, yeah, um, quite tense at times. Yeah, I can, Im- I can imagine. As we, we know that both of those characters are uh, very um, strong-willed, shall we say. So, yeah. But yeah, but there, there was also some like, amazing news at the time. You know, when we signed Bruce Grobbler, I mm. do... Yeah, and he was a, a huge star and also had this court case hanging over his head. Um, um, and well, the match, um, that's the match fixing one, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if people like remember Bruce Grobler, the Liverpool goalie. Who, you know, he was accused of some sort of betting match fixing scandal. And, um, um, and under with that cloud over his head, we 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 signed him and, um, um, I remember interviewing him on the, on the the day he turned up at home park and, you know, I, I actually had to hold out the microphone at full stretch cause he was so tall. And, um, 
he was very nice. But I, I asked him, you know, uh, um, you know, how are you going to deal with, you know, this court case hanging over your head? And he just sort of looked down at me very sternly and said, I'm going to do a terrible South African accident there. When we get to court, we'll find out who the guilty parties are. And I just sort of looked to him and, all right, Bruce, <laughs> going to play on Saturday. It was, um, yeah, but it was great. That, that It was brilliant that we were bringing characters like that to to argo yeah it was, it was fun who was your favorite person to interview or is there is there is that the list is there a well uh, argyle that yeah you didn't really get access to um the players to interview and i wasn't doing the sports coverage i was doing the news coverage right. so i would interview dan mccauley quite a lot and sometimes the um the chief exec i can't remember his name now at the time and um rarely Neil Warnock occasionally Mick Jones and um um but yeah we didn't really get access to the players sadly yeah obviously we'll, we'll just cover it now actually whilst we're on it like how did the club then compare to the club now because obviously I know that you have a very good relationship with them now right it's I mean I, yeah it's totally different I mean it was um I'm sure there were all sorts of things going on behind the scenes at the uh, at the time, and um, I sort of got got on all right with Dan McCauley, but um, um, but he was, yeah, obviously quite a tricksy character, and um, yeah, it, it was it clearly wasn't as well run. Let's put it that way. It was. Um, I remember getting my one Argyle scoop, which must have been ninety seven, I I think. I, I found out that the this doesn't sound very big, but the tannoy was broken. But what that meant was they had to close either I can't remember if it was a whole stand or half a stand. It was just the capacity was. I mean, the crowds weren't that big, then, but the, the 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 it was quite a big story. Um, yeah, the the club were very unhappy with me, but um, but it was you know it was something that affected the fans, so you needed to report it. So it clearly the club was not being yeah looked after in the same way as it is now and obviously the facilities are totally different yeah you know obviously under the current stewardship it's going quite well obviously you've seen recent promotions that you you were there for Argyle during the that FA Cup run that you've already said that you weren't allowed to go to did we cover that or was that before that recording I feel like that was before we started It, it might have been but um uh yeah I I was I was I was getting into Argyle during the the cup run and obviously that was huge in the city and it feels sort of a different kind of feeling because cup runs in the i mean even if we went on a big cup run now and even when we played chelsea the other season it was it was a big deal but it wasn't the same as in 1984 it just what it's it was it was such a big national story and the fa cup was such a big thing you know quarterfinals and semi-finals were massive um, and it's just not the same now. No, well, I mean, it would have been very nice to actually beat Chelsea, but yeah, I'm sure it still wouldn't, wouldn't have compared yeah. to, um, you know, back then. Obviously from that, you know, we had, you know, Sturrock's first reign and then the pits of administration. Yeah. It's been a bit of a roller coaster over the years, but any any key memories that stick out in your mind? Well, over that um, period, I, I, I left Plymouth itself for work in um, about 2000. But I was um so I've been in London and Manchester for a while. So it was mostly going to away games. 
I'd say um, most of those are sort of comical lowlights, like going to uh, see us get absolutely battered at West Ham 5-0 or going up to uh, Burnley and, um, uh, yeah, which is never a good, generally never a good thing to be doing. Um, and, but, um, you know, seeing some pretty turgid nil-nil draws at York City, things like that. So, um, um, and I think even in the, the sort of promotion season where we were, you know, top of the league having a laugh, I think I saw us lose 3-0 away to qpr because i was in london at the time so so it's it's been a mixed bag let's put it that way but that's that's part of the the journey isn't it and i do remember um one of my it was a big fan favorite um uh back in the um i think it was late 90s um, alan nichols in goal um he was a great character and he tragically died um um too young but he was a brilliant keeper, but he was a bit nuts as keepers often are. Yeah, and, yeah. and it was Barnet away. And one of their, um, one of their players was down in our half. He'd gone down. And for some reason, like the other players were nowhere near him, but um, um, Alan Nichols was there and he looked over at the away support and pretended to sort of did a, did a, a fake punch to pretended to like, it was, it was just sort of taking the, uh, taking the piss and the, and the Argyle fans loved it. it went, yeah, Gave him a big cheer. I mean, these yeah, days you get sent off. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that. But it was very funny. Yeah, yeah. It's like you said. It's those those low moments and those nil nils and those you know those days where you you genuinely consider why you're there that mm. make it all worth it. You know, um, it does. And 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 also there was what having known Sparksy and in that time when I was f- further away, um, being able to listen to him. I, I, yeah, when you listen to other local commentators, you know, that I'm sure there are lots of good ones, but generally it's it's not that great. But where, whereas you had someone in Sparksy who was so good, was such a quality broadcaster that it was a joy. You know, I'd often be away working in different places, but um, it was an absolute joy to be able to to listen to him covering games that are you know, there's no way I could get to. As you say, that I don't think there'll ever be a commentator as, as good as the the current ones are on Argar TV that, that will will ever you know reach that sort of level. You know, like there's certain goals and memories that you think of, and you and you purely think of, you know, Sparks's commentary, mainly the you know yeah. the goal that gets QPR and those sorts of things. Whereas, yeah, and um, there's a little if people get the book, there's a little nod to that which I'm sure Argyle fans will spot. But as soon as I saw the scoreline on a particular event, I thought that's fitting. Well, you, you've mentioned the book, so let's let's jump on to the campaign then. Obviously, how did you you first hear about Jack Leslie and what, why did you feel a desire to kickstart this campaign? It happened at a party. Um, as I was in um, London. My, my um, wife had a colleague... Um, and she and well, it was his birthday, he went. Oh, my dad's a an Argyle fan. You've got to meet him. Um, so this uh, Argyle fans, Tony Fitzgerald, he's a great guy, and you know I'd seen like lists on Argyle and Jack Leslie and Sammy Black, but not um really. I didn't really know much. I didn't know much about Argyle's history. That is, and um, he started telling me the story. I I could not believe it. I thought this must be you know, a, a tale that has been blown up out of all proportion. 
Um, and as soon as I, you know, got home, well, the next day with a bit of a hangover, I um, started um, looking into it and finding articles and information. And, and clearly there was still, you know, any Argyle fan who knows a bit, you know, knew more about Argyle's history did, um, were aware of it and, and certainly older fans. So I started just t- telling all my Argyle friends and none of them had ever heard the story. And I was I was surprised because there's you know there's more say someone like Greg who's chair of the London supporters he he is I don't want to say you know um, more committed a fan than me but he's probably you know he's been to more games he's you know and and he has that position and so we we were both pretty shocked that the story hadn't been told and he's a bit of a sort of campaigning lawyer and immediately over you know a few more pints we decided we got to do something so it just just felt like the right thing to do and it's also kindled an interest in Argyle's history because when you find out about what was going on and what the Argyle team were it blows me away obviously in case any Argyle fan has been living under a rock there might be a few of them I'm not sure just Mm. just remind us of Jack's story and about the rescinded call-up yeah so um Jack um, was an East London lad. Um, he played after just after the First World War as a teenager. Played for Barking Town, who were a big amateur club at the time, um, and you know, getting five, six, seven, eight thousand fans, fifteen thousand in cup finals. And it was at one of those that Bob Jack, the Argyle manager, spotted Jack Leslie and decided he was going to sign him. He signed three players from Barking. So in nineteen twenty one, he came down. Um, Signed uh, professionally for Plymouth, although other clubs like West Ham, Spurs, Chelsea wanted to sign him. And um, uh, Argyle offered more money. Can you imagine that happening now? And um, <laughs> and and also showed him postcards of a sunny hoe. So, of course, if you've uh, grown up in Plymouth, you um, you know that that's, you know, I mean, it does happen and it's great. It's beautiful. But it's a rare occurrence. Um, yeah. And um, so he came down and and. He took a while to get into the team, but he then established himself and was clearly a, a massive talent. Um, and in 1925, um, Argyle were on fire. Um, I think they scored about something like 31 goals in eight games. Don't quote me, but it's something like that. Um, and Jack had scored six. He was pictured on the front of the Daily Mirror scoring in a 6-2 win against uh, South End. And the FA were looking for um, players for the England team. And... In October, 5th of October, he got chosen as one of 13 players. It was um, 11 and two reserves to travel to go with the team. So the England squad. And it was printed in all the papers. Jack had been called in to uh, his manager's office. I mean, that's when I sort of, I, I knew, I've known this story for years, but when I started doing more research and thinking about it in the book, it made me think, you know, here's a young player walking from Peveril through Central Park to Home Park just for training and then getting called into his manager's office and out of the blue being told, you've been picked for England. I mean, as a young player, that must have been immense. And apparently well, it's like the everyone's city dream, was... isn't it? Like, just to, yeah. Yeah, just to get that, even that talk where you're like, you're going to go play for England. Like, it, it, it would have been huge. And also, you know, the Argyle team at the time had several former England internationals you know in, in that team Jack Cock had scored the fastest goal for England at the time so you've got um 
And he'd seen other players who um, had, while at Argyle, being named as a reserve and then being called up for the full England team. There's, there's one player that that happened to while at Argyle and he didn't play because of injury and then went on to win several caps while he was at another club. Um, so there's, you know, he would have known how immense this was. And, and then within two weeks, it all kind of went quiet and people couldn't look him in the face. They couldn't look him in the eye. And um, he, he said he heard roundabouts that the FA had come to have another look at him. And his name was removed from the team sheet before the game was played. And he wasn't injured. He wasn't suspended. He, uh, on the day that England limped to a nil-nil draw in Ireland, well, in Belfast playing the Ireland team, um, uh, uh, Jack scored twice in a 7-2 win at home park. And yeah, he'd heard that they changed their mind because of the colour of his skin. And um, there's there's a, a reporter, a Plymouth reporter who, who was obviously a big fan of Jack, who said, reported the news, said, my pen is under a ban in the matter. And I, I looked at that paper from the 20s and um, and I saw on the same page, they had this uh, little snippets, gossip, gossip column. And it says, um, this is the only reference to like Jack's colour in the last four years while he's been at Argyle. It says, uh, oh, it may, uh, interesting readers to note that the Jack Leslie um, Argyle's brilliant inside left is the only gentleman of colour in the Football League. I just thought that's... That's that writer doing a bit of a sort of pop bitch, private eye. Yeah, you know, yeah. I can't, I'm not allowed to tell you, but, but here's, yeah. we all know the reason we're all talking about it in the pubs, but I can't tell you. And, um, I, and I think that sort of feeling of being let down stayed with Argyle fans who love Jack Leslie. Mm. Um, cause you, yeah, cause you can was, hear there was it. An Argyle fan, there was an Argyle fan that brought it up. Um, when there was an article about Viv Anderson, right. And, yeah, yeah. Apparently, it was a, a woman who wrote to the Daily Mail who said, um, "No, Viv, Viv Anderson wasn't the first to be picked. It was, um, it was Jack Leslie." And then they interviewed him, and um, I'm really glad they did because obviously I never got a chance to speak to Jack himself. But in that article in the Daily Mail in 1978, he tells the story, and he just tells it like it is. He 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 wasn't someone that went out around shouting about it, but when he was asked, he just said, "Well, that, that's what happened," and also. You know, I'm not. We basically said I'm not a, um, you know, a, a, a boasting man. But I was, I was, honestly, I was good enough. And yeah. if you read all the reports, he ab- absolutely was. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's painful to hear that. Like, well, it sounds as almost like you'd like come to terms with it, right? Like it's, it's, it's because I think um at the time, I mean, I don't know how he felt. You can try and imagine, but um, he was. He kind of w- was able to probably use football as an outlet and just sort of get on with that. Mm. I actually think it might have hurt more later looking back and thinking about it and having it brought up again. Um, what could have been? I certainly think it, it, it would have made such a big difference to to him, maybe to other players that then emerged. And, um, and I think it would have made a big difference to his family, who his daughter was really angry throughout you know about what happened and his wife who was white had a really tough time in Plymouth because people really disapproved of mixed marriages you know they continued to you know I can remember um 
to people's attitudes in the sort of uh, even in the 80s but back then she was apparently spat at in the street and called names um and i think had jack been in the england team there would have been just that acceptance mm. um a level of respect as well that, that he should have had anyway yeah 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 i mean he was that's the thing he was respected in plymouth he was part of you know plymouth society and um was clearly well respected enough to be appointed captain which would have been um quite a step because it's almost like you you you're breaking through sort of barriers that you you had to be even better than than anyone else you had to be yeah. a you know such a higher level to to get that position of authority as a you know as a, a player of color yeah and like you say already already made reference to the fact that he was the only player of color in the in the the league you know so like that's to become captain is huge in itself but yeah it's it's, it's a shame to hear um they didn't you know quite make it you obviously mentioned the family there they're quite receptive of the campaign right yeah they've been great um and i think it's made a big difference to them because a lot of them talk about how they would tell other people they would talk to friends and tell the story of their granddad and people would just kind of go oh no that never happened mm. um but now because it's got the attention that it deserves and it has been talked about and reported it was it was you know reported at, at the time you know a paper asked the fa and they just said no we didn't pick him and they checked with the press association who said no no well, he, he was picked um so the fa just sort of denied it for 98 years um but they they they've sort of carried that with them and 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 but by being able to tell the story it's um and for the recognition that he's had i think it's um uh, had quite an impact it can't change the you know that terrible injustice that happened but um but i i think it has really helped them yeah Sorry if this is a stupid question, but how come Jack never played for those those big clubs? Obviously, initially yeah, with more money. Yeah, but... um, no, it, it, it's not a stupid question because um, I asked, I wondered the same thing. Yeah, you'd get people on. Um, I wish I'd known back then what I knew now. But when I was starting the campaign, I knew the England story was true. But you get people on Twitter going, "Oh, he's not good enough. If he was good enough, he would have played for a first division club." Well. He would have played for a first division club if it were not for the fact that back then, because of the retain and transfer system, managers and um, club directors had all the power. Players had zero power. Right. So when other clubs, it was it was Jack's choice to jo join Plymouth in the first place. But mm -hmm. um, there's a maximum wage. So certainly by we know that by 1927, but I'm sure before um, he was earning the maximum wage. So um, um he wouldn't have got paid anymore elsewhere and we know and we know there were several reports of um first division clubs um uh, offering substantial fees to sign him a lot of club, clubs came in and offered i think as um everton basically said name your price for jack and sammy black because they had this partnership that was yeah. so um so incredible and plymouth just said no and the only way a player could kind of leave was by being a massive pain in the ass. Mm. And Jack wasn't that sort of character. 
you know, it talked about a player who got picked for England while um, at Argyle. There's a guy called Jack Hill. And he wanted to leave Plymouth. He was from the North. He wanted to go back to Burnley, of all places. And um, um, that's, that's not that's not where not, anybody wants to go, is it? No, it's not. It's not what you want to hear. Maybe we were good, well, well short of him. He was a great player. I mean, he captained England after leaving Argyle. Um, but he kicked up such a stink because he clearly didn't want to stay anymore. And apparently, the FA supported him in his move. And it just became untenable. Whereas for Jack, he he wasn't that sort of character anyway, and neither was Sammy Black. But um, also, it would have been much harder, I think, for Jack as a man of colour to stand up to the the manager. In fact, the granddaughters told me that at one point where he really did want to move back to London and would have been signed by a, a West Ham, a, yeah, yeah. a Spurs, um, an Arsenal, um, Bob Jack said, no, if you don't play, you don't get paid. End of. And Jack just had to go back to work. Um, I think he wanted to go back. He loved. He really loved Plymouth, but he wanted to go back for personal reasons. But it might have been really great for his career as well. But he, he wasn't allowed to go. Yeah, you mentioned it slightly there about the Twitter, you know, comments. Did you encounter any like real opposition to the to the campaign? And like, how did you respond to that? Oh. Um, well, we, we had to be really careful not to get sucked down a rabbit hole because generally the great thing was it was almost um, 100% positive because I think that even if people are were, um, you know, not, um, you know, massively political, I think they could still see that this was someone that should be recognised and supported it, whether they were an Argyle fan or, you know, football fan of another club. Um, so it really had a, a, an incredibly broad appeal, but you will always get the odd person. It, and it was basically on social media. You get the odd email. Um, I, I had, um, uh, I mean, I had things on Twitter where people said stuff like, oh, he wasn't good enough. He just wasn't good enough. Or, you know, and then, and then, when you, you know, I, I've read enough now to know that um, he was one of the best, if not the best, for much of his career in his position at inside left, um, without a doubt. Um, well, he was named in national newspapers as such. But um, um, I, I would occasionally reply to comments just factually correcting people because a lot of people would write things that just weren't correct. Um, yeah. And that is always frustrating. You kind of go, I know that what you're saying is bullshit. So I'm I'm going to correct you. Um, but you don't want to waste too much time on people that are probably never going to read the stuff anyway. Um, yeah. um, but generally, I mean, it's, you know, stuff that we've, we've just had this weekend, despite the results uh, on the pitch, was just um, great. The fans were incredible at home park. The, mm. the reception they gave the granddaughters was just great. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll get on to the, the events of uh, mm. Saturday. Maybe there's there's something else that happens at Wembley. I'm sure we'll get on to that in a minute. But obviously, you know, before that, and, and do correct me if I'm getting my timelines muddled, um, I'm just living through Greg's social media. <laughs> um, you know, aren't, we, aren't we all? Yeah, he's very active. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, obviously, the, the, you know, the campaign led to Argyle's only statue, uh, which obviously portrays Jack and sits outside the ground on the corner of the Denport and the Lindhurst stand. How mm. 
how does the statue campaign come around? Some um, like first real. Yeah, um, well, it's it, it, um, Greg and I just felt well, that's that's what we should do. And when you sort of look into it, and there's not many for a start, we we obviously knew there was no statue at Home Park, and um, um, we thought that would be a really great thing to do. And when you know Jack's story, particularly when you you discover that he was. A, a bona fide well it is a bona fide argyle legend mm. then he he i mean there's lots of other players that could have statues and that would be great um uh, but it 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 just felt the like the right thing to do I and mean, what what else are you going to put there to, there to to celebrate him and tell his story lots of other clubs have statues let's do one and um and we were yeah we were surprised i suppose it was timing um when it all kind of got picked up um but um greg and i, I remember greg and i having that conversation it's like we've just got to go for it it was a 2020 we'll, we'll just we'll just do it and um luckily it it worked out and you know i i hope that um whatever i think i think um, uh, Almost all Argyle fans, I'm sure there is a small minority who are not, um, but almost all have been brilliant and I think appreciate it. Um, Just quickly, in terms of um, going back and clipping stuff around, we never officially had a break, did we? Even so you might need to say we're having a break and now we're back from our break. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. But how do you even begin to like build a statue? Obviously, I can imagine it's an incredibly long drawn out process right what are the steps yeah um well we went into the campaign because we had to launch it was really about raising the the money we didn't honestly know that much but we knew the we knew how much money would we'd need we did a bit of research so we spoke to other statue campaigns and of course there was um not long before the nancy Astor statue and we knew what they needed to raise and um uh, and I spoke to some, uh, I spoke to a guy at, um, at Peterborough who they'd recently done a statue. So I got a sense of, um, and and Greg spoke to sort of sculptors. So we had a sense of what we'd need to build it. And then it was a case of um, uh, taking time and putting putting the message out there and getting, we got a load of pitches. So we set a process and we had the family and a committee of people who were all there to kind of bounce uh, the ideas off. And we, we got down to a short list of four 
interviewed them on Zoom and um, did a bit, bit more diligence. Um, we visited like artist studios and foundries and then chose Andy Edwards because he just he just got it and his work was good. Um, all four who sort of, you know, made the final shortlist had done good work, but it just felt that he um, got the story and was going to put everything into it. And and that proved to be a good decision because in, when we were able to meet the family at last, um, it was an event in Canning Town. There was a um, an exhibition and we were able to meet up in person and Andy was there and got to chat to them. And we finally got to see, you know, some some photos we'd never seen before from that we've now you know some of them in the book and some of them were shared um uh online and it, it was amazing to see some of this stuff and suddenly we had a bigger picture of of what jack was was like and um yeah we went on from there he took some time and decided what the pose might be in conjunction with us and the family and then yeah, started work on the clay it was it was um an interesting process that was yeah it was eye-opening because it's not totally out outside of my comfort zone how did it work with the club then obviously because i know greg was talking previously there was a big like conversation about where it was going and where it could go and you know obviously it's ended up in the right place but they were they were really good actually we we, we met up with uh facilities guy and he did a, a little wander around he said oh we've been thinking about a few different places and when he started like behind the gate inside uh, by the mayflower stand both greg and i were thinking oh god we don't want to put it here because we want it to be as accessible as possible yeah. and i think um in the olden days the obvious place would have been by the old entrance you know where the superstore is the argyle yeah. store is now and um but because the life center's there it's it's a um it's it's a totally different situation so we wandered around and they actually suggested a few different places and you know that corner where it is the popular court you know lindhurst devonport it just made sense because you you can see it walking down the hill you can see it from the road you can see away fans will see it going down to the barn park and and yeah that was immediately we'll we'll, we'll this this is where it should be six weeks is all it took to hit the fundraising target if i'm remembering that rightly you know, with with people still able to donate, what is the long term ambition for the campaign, and what sort of legacy do you do you aim to leave behind? Well, it's really interesting because we got to, we unveiled the statue a year ago, and both Greg and I was we both felt the same in that we we felt our 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 job was done in a in part, but we always wanted to carry on telling the story. So, you know, we we always loved, you know, we get request to go and talk to schools or an organization someone would say oh can you come and and we love doing that and then everything happened with the cap which then had its own momentum which we'd been we'd asked that question at the start of the campaign and got pushed back for the fa but then not long before the unveiling and we got to meet the new chair of the fa debbie hewitt and she just engaged with it and read the stuff on the website and suddenly it was happening from a no it became a yes and then she made she pushed it through in time for the unveiling ceremony and it, it was just incredible and so it's carried on it's sort of got a life of its own it's almost like we 
we've got all, all sorts of ambitions, but they seem to be then sort of thrust upon us. But people will like ask us to do stuff and um and we love doing it because we can't say no because it's too I was in a school today in East Ham, um, where Jack's old stomping grounds, you know, that's where he lived after coming back from the West Country, um for many, many years. And it was it was great talking to like primary school kids about this story that was so far away in time. They were just blown away. They were what? He was the only black player. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. He played for Plymouth Argyle. What? Yeah. <laughs> it was um it was great. So yeah, we loved carrying on doing stuff like that. And um there's definitely gonna be some interesting stuff going on. I think particularly around the anniversary of the selection, I think will be because it was October of nineteen twenty-five. Not long to prepare for that. I think no. a lot of your um timeline and events feel like they've been not rushed through, but you've been, you know, you've had to you've had these um momentum occasions where you've had to like hurry up. Yeah. It was the campaign started because of the BBC, right? You did Greg was saying something about you had to like kick start it because the BBC wanted to yeah. run a story up, right? Yeah, basically we were we started talking about it in 2019, talked to Simon Hallett and and we weren't ready to go anywhere. And he said, look, don't um, be great if you didn't do anything till after the boardrooms renamed. And we were like totally fine with that because it was clear that he wanted to do something to recognize Jack. And, you know, we didn't want to kind of suddenly go with the Jack Leslie campaign and make it look like it like it, it was responding to pressure because it wasn't. He was doing it off his own bat. And then, you know, we got to 2020 and we thought, well, we'll set up a website. We'll start to get, you know, things going. And then everything went a bit weird. And, um, oh, yeah. 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 It was, we were going to launch a game. I think it was April. It was, um, Forest Green. And that was the first game that was cancelled due to COVID. And we'd not even met the family. They were going to be at that game. Um, so we were totally not ready to launch. And so it would have been a shambles. But we got to meet the family you know, talk to them on the phone and stuff and they were on board. And then we just thought, oh, we'll put it on ice because there's no football. It's going to be really hard to raise this money. And then suddenly, I think because of the Colston statue, people saw the campaign and people started to, there was the odd article about Jack and thought, and then the BBC, after the BBC National News wanted to do the story. So we're like, we're never going to get this chance again to have the story on today program and the bbc national news at breakfast and um so we we were just kind of suddenly trying to get everything in place talking to lots of people um trying to get people prepared to give us money and um yeah it was it was crazy but it was brilliant and um it was it was the right thing to do because you know it it took off everyone was talking about it and and one of the great things about that is obviously telling Jack's story is really important. But as a, an Argyle fan, to see that attention on the club, that positive attention, and also at a time when there is more positivity around um, after so many years in the doldrums, that that was a really great thing. And I'm I'm really proud to. I don't know if I'm allowed to call myself a Jana because I moved there when I was four, but I you know I grew up in Plymouth. It's my it's my hometown. I love it. I um and I was really proud that that um positive attention was shining on the city. 
as as much as anything else that was that was really really a great thing i think yeah there was there was a period in which um yourself and greg were barely off the telly and off uh off different events and programs. Yeah, sorry about that <laughs> you know oh, but obviously of, of all those appearances that the the biggest one the one you're most probably most proud of is is obviously pitch side at england uh, versus ukraine when obviously jack's family uh, you know finally awarded that england cap but that's obviously a huge honor right and you know to to finally have that recognition yeah i mean the the unveiling day was massive in terms of just the sort of the pressure of delivering it and hoping and, that hoping that the fans were going to be the equipment going wrong right yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that was sort of it's funny because um when there was such a windy day with the sunshine the sun sort of broke through the clouds in time for the unveiling which was great but it was so windy and it was um um remember i was talking about the guy that um uh told me the story and his son he works in like props on tv shows and so does my wife right and when that happened with the um the drape and it was flying off the pair of them everyone everyone else like greg when i was still on stage going oh what's going on and the pair of them ran to sort it out because they they're used to dealing with that sort of stuff in an emergency it was great so i saw my, my, my he was still only two my son i think my, my wife handed off my son and then ran around and then <laughs> Tony's son joe were pulling on the drape but it was kind of everyone em- embraced it and it was um because everyone was so positive so it was it was mm. good but yeah there was there was that pressure but the 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 when the cap was presented it was very emotional because it was you know it was at Wembley and you got Viv Anderson handing it over who had supported the campaign the first you know England's first black full international yeah it was i couldn't believe it was happening and the reception, at, just as when we, um, the family brought the cap to Argyle, it was, yeah, it was, it was so brilliant. So yeah, just to be a part of that was, yeah, wonderful. Me and my other half were at that game. I, I remember it obviously because you know, uh, talking to Greg. Obviously, mm. uh, I think he's had more name drops in this this pod than Jack himself, but. And I just remember, I just finished work and met up and went to Wembley. And I just remember my other half being like, that guy looks like Greg. Like, as you came across the big screen. <laughs> oh, that is Greg. Um, so, yeah, we were, we were there. Like, <laughs> so it must have been just a huge... Obviously, you know, Viv supported the campaign. Carlton Cole, right? Ronnie Moshe, like... Yeah, yeah. Big names there. Some yeah. Names. Yeah, it was it was great that they they came on board. Because it's, it's really hard to get hold of both, you know, big name footballers and ex-footballers as even you know when we got Ronnie on board that was immense for us because you know he's our our hero mm. so it was just um yeah it, it was great when uh when, when we got hold of him and he was yeah he's been he's been brilliant throughout actually yeah that, did that coincide with him becoming club ambassador as well because it was around the same sort of time wasn't it as the campaign kicking off and him becoming he, he i think he got appointed to that role later but um but uh, he's always obviously been a a legend for the club. And when we were able to get hold of him and he expressed his support and, you know, he joined us for a, a sort of Zoom. And it's actually, it's also been really, um, you know, because one of the things about the campaign, we uh, Plymouth is more diverse than it was, but it's not, you know, 
the world's most diverse city and we're Plymouth Argyle fans. That's why we're doing it. But we're two white blokes. We have done our best to engage people across the board. And so, and Ronnie in particular has been really helpful in just pointing things out that we might not be so aware of the lack of diverse. I mean, obviously I'm aware of the lack of diversity in boardrooms and management, but when someone like when Ronnie, uh, a black player from the East end who came down to Plymouth tells it like it is, it hits home and you need that. You need that presence. You need that presence in a campaign like this. You need that presence in football. And um, I can't praise him enough for being honest about um his feelings about how football is if there's been things that messaging around the campaign you need someone to tell you you need someone to tell you who has that lived experience Mm. obviously you alluded to it already but obviously that the same day as our recent um should we say the word defeat defeat yeah let's say it as it is to uh swansea city the club were obviously awarded uh, Jack's cap, which now proudly sits in the boardroom that bears his name. And obviously his statue sits on the on the road that bears his name as well. He's got quite a legacy there now. Talk us through the events that led up to the day and the day itself. And- yeah, it was um when the cap was awarded at Wembley, it was a it was it was brilliant, but it was really sad that Leslie, who's the eldest of the three granddaughters, the others Lynn and Jill, she got COVID and couldn't come to Wembley. And that must have been heartbreaking for her. Mm. So it was um it was really fortunate that we were at Wembley a week later uh, and look, let's not talk about the game, mm. but she recovered and Debbie Hewitt from the FA said, I'm, I'm, she said, I'm going to make sure that she can come. Well, she was able to show off the cap at Wembley and walk around all those, you know, nearly 40,000 Argyle fans and with Ronnie and Greg and I, and it was until kickoff, it was just great. Um, and, um, and she was able to announce that they'd already decided that they wanted to bring the cap to home park because there's three of them. They wanted to keep it for a little while for a few months, just so they could, you know, share it with the family and see it. And, um, and yeah, so we were then planning for when we would bring it to Argyle and it made sense. There was, you look when the fixture list comes out, you're suddenly like, what's, what's the best day for this? And, um, there weren't many home fixtures on a Saturday in October. In fact, I think Swansea, the only, we, we've got Wednesday on Wednesday at the 25th, but um, so it was basically the only game that we could uh, do. It was the un- anniversary of the unveiling. And then we were away and the club, um, as they have been very supportive, obviously they're delighted that the caps come to Argyle. They gifted maquettes of the statue, which are not cheap to um, the granddaughters in return. So it was a lovely gesture. Lovely. And um, yeah, it was great. And um, Leslie and Lynn, Jill couldn't make it this time. She's looking after her partner who's not well. But um, the two of them got such a great reception on the pitch. It was it was really, really lovely. Yeah, it's also brilliant just to see the club just just such a classy outfit now. Like we've we've had issues in the past. Right. But like now it just feels like everything on and off the pitch is just it's just clicking in the right direction it's just absolutely brilliant yeah there's always going to be you know when, when you're running an operation like that and um when it's football there's always going to be ups and downs and there's always going to be stuff that you know fans aren't happy about on a particular day or about a particular sort of thing but i think in 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 general um 
they're the club is is just trying to do positive stuff and also they're trying to make it a, a football club and a business that supports the community and enhances the community and they can see when there's a positive message that it should be um embraced mm-hmm. and and it was great you know with with you know fans wanting pictures with the cap you know fans giving the the granddaughters a an ovation you know it was um it yeah it was brilliant and um long may it continue because that's what you need from a football club isn't it you need you know support the community and vice versa yeah so it's nothing without community right like yeah it just isn't so and the cap's going to be on display for people that do tours and and whatnot around the club right yes yeah i mean um i one of the say deals um it was important for us that the cap would be available to show more widely so it's not going to be locked up in the boardroom obviously people who go on tours will see it but i want it to be available as much as possible so um we'd love to see exhibitions but now we've got more material about jack and wouldn't that be a lovely Mm. part of it and um i think there will be stuff like that going on i would like it to be more accessible to the fans if i'm honest but if if it can't be on display elsewhere then i would i will do my utmost to find ways to um for it to be seen outside on particular days you know like like what we did it obviously won't be as big as the other uh, swansea but we'll take it out of its case and take it to round the stands we'll take it to the taverners which we did on greg did on saturday um you know it's really important that we do that and and greg making a trip to the pub doesn't sound like greg (laughs) imagine greg in in hospitality well both of us to be fair you've been busy writing a book i can imagine a lot of what we spoke about is is encompassed a lot more right yes yeah i mean it is um i've been a great privilege um because I, I, I mean, I, I always wanted when I was when I was little, I wanted to be a history professor. I, I gave that up when I decided that um, they were all mad. I mean, that's probably not entirely fair if there are any history professors uh, listening. But um, but I've always had a passion for it, and so um, one of the great things about doing the campaign was learning about Jack's story and learning about the Argyle team. Um, there's obviously great stuff out there already with things like greens on screen, which mm. was invaluable to me. Um, and the Plymouth Argyle Heritage Archive, there's lots of stuff that I looked at from um, both those resources. But um, it's, it's just been great delving into like more and more. There's there's stuff in there in the book that um, um, that I, I don't think is is is. Uh, available elsewhere some um incredible argyle stories and um you know jack wasn't a you know he was brilliant he was immense he was well liked in the dressing room he was a a very charismatic man an incredibly talented player but he wasn't perfect he was a human being and the granddaughters told me all their stories and obviously a lot of those have passed through their mum and um uh, and, and and therefore through their their grandmother jack's wife win and um, you know, they told me about the ups and downs. You know, he was a young player. He he was, you know, you know, maybe it went to his head a little bit. Um, the players were out having a laugh. All that's 
in there it's just it's been a real privilege to to research it and to write it yeah um yeah i loved it the four words by Viv anderson as well right so it's another huge yeah no it's really really nice that people have supported it because um as with I did an, uh, an interview the other day and they said, oh, the the acknowledgements are like a, an entire chapter. Um, it's like, well, yeah, because so many people have helped, I think because they have been engaged with the story and care about it. And um, and I've wanted to have those people help me to make it as hopefully as good as it can be. So it, it, it you know, it tells his story from childhood, from his dad sort of coming over from Jamaica and ending up in London to Jack coming down to Plymouth and, um, and and after his career, which was ended prematurely by um, a terrible eye injury, which is um, really he would have played many more games and scored many got more goals for Argyle. But um, you know, it he went to run a pub in Truro, and it that that didn't necessarily go entirely well. But it was funny what happened there, and then back to the East End, and back to and then to West Ham in the boot room, of course, which is sort of a a bittersweet ending. But he he loved that job. And got to you know um, some of the memories of some of the players that he met there are uh, are great and show what kind of a a really well liked charismatic man he was who should have got the part chance to play for the country that he loved he was he was a patriot yeah not to reveal everything in the book but there's a story about the, the players at West Ham not knowing who he was right, right. yeah well they, they uh, um it's interesting what i found it was when, when he went to west ham there would have been some people who, who knew because there was a, a, a there was an old guy who he played against um right. while at argyle so there's a um albert walker who played for west ham well and so they were on opposite sides but the um the the bigger names like you know the Bobby Moore and Jeff Hurst and Martin Peters, but then the ones that we've been able to talk to, Trevor Brooking and Clyde Best, um, they never knew that he was even a professional player because um, he didn't talk about it. They were obviously busy just going in and out of the boot room. They would sort of pass the time of day and say, alone said, you know, he was a brilliant, lovely man. But they were staggered to find out that he was you know, such a talented player with such a great record, but also that he'd been pick for England you know Jack had never gone oh yeah he'd never boasted about um any of his achievements which I think is a testament to his character what's the rest of this year got left in store for yourself and the campaign is there any future aims to adapt this to tv or film well I've I've worked in um after my um stint at Plymouth Sound I've had a TV and film well not not really film not for the one of trying T, a TV uh, career I'd love I'd, uh, I'd love it to let's um but yeah I mean it's doing stuff like that is slightly in the lap of the gods um but it would it would be great um but really it's uh, right now um I am I'm obviously promoting the book as much as I can because Look, you know, it, I think it's a story that deserves to be told, and um, you know, I, I'm you know, writing a book is not, I can assure you, something that's um, going to make you rich. Um, but I, you know, uh, my wife's been very, very supportive over the last year of me yeah. <laughs> doing this, 
um it's, it's been quite a thing but what a privilege and um i would love um yeah i would love as many people to to read it as as possible because i think it's a um a story worth knowing about and i think for argyle fans as well there's what what i found in in just writing and thinking about it i found some incredible stories i mean there's things that we know like the argentina tour and um, the south america tour and um and there was this great cup game against arsenal it's kind of tragically funny in a classic argyle way um and um it was it was a real really fun to to write but also really thought-provoking um and to think of the impact that those weeks in October 1925 had on a young man uh, re- really um, is affecting, I think. Before you go then, remind everybody where they can get this, the the, the book, obviously, The Lion Who Never Roared. Yes. So um, it's out on the 23rd of October. Um, I mean, it's available everywhere. You will be able to get it in the club shop. So, you know, if you're an Argyle fan, go home park, buy it there. But you will also be able to buy signed copies um, direct through the Jack Leslie campaign website so if you go to jacklesley.co.uk and you go on the shop you will be able to buy it from there and if you buy it from there it will mean some money will go to support the campaign because it really helps buying it from direct means more comes our way so that will really help so yeah jacklesley.co.uk and um uh you'll be able to get it from there if you would like a signed copy i'm not going to say that that will increase its value but um (laughs) decrease but, it slightly uh, somewhat possibly but you know um um i'll i'll scroll on it nice and what you can pre-order from your website as well or do you have to wait to the 23rd um you will be able to yes thanks for joining us matt appreciate that unless you've got anything else to add at the end but i think actually the best bet would be to read the book right yeah i, th- I think I, I um yes of of course um and feel free to drop Greg and I a line. We're happy to always happy to kind of answer questions. And if people want to um, us to come and um, talk about Jack, I should also mention that um, I'm having a book launch at Argyle, which is already going to be very busy. But there are, if there are any left, a few tickets through the National Football Museum. But if you go on, um, on our website there'll be details there but if you look at the national football museum website there's football writing festival and they are coming down to um film it as part of their content i'm doing a q a with richard amofa from the athletic who um helped out was a consultant on the book richard's great so he's going to host a q a and um uh, that's on the 24th of october at home park um so there are a few tickets for members of the public so um have a look at that and um come if you can because it's going to be a really good night yeah, yeah brilliant brilliant so obviously pre-order the book get your ticket for the, the the writing festival and um yes yeah and follow you obviously on all social yeah and there's a couple of uh, london-based argyle fans there's a couple of london events as well so yeah you'll find stuff about that yeah, brilliant. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Appreciate that. Nice one. Not at all. It was, re- yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> That's the end of another episode of Green and White brought to you by Argyle Life. Before you go, please make sure you drop us a review on whichever podcast platform you are using. 
and make sure you follow us on Twitter at ArgoLife1886. Cheers. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.